Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 39 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Pea Supers, thanks for tuning in. This week, it's Part 2 of my chat with psychologist, anxiety specialist and author, Dr. Eric Goodman. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun to nourish your mind to flourish at work. In this clip, Eric talks about anxiety being our superpower. That's it. That's our superpower. That's our advantage. That we mentally time travel. But another way of looking at that is we worry. Worry is our thing. Having this this brain that worries in this super complex sort of way, that's our thing. And so all of this nonsense out there about being anxiety-free, right? All the books that promise you anxiety-free and six easy steps, you know, it's all marketing gimmicks. It's not real. We are anxious, we humans. And so I think it's important to accept that that's kind of our thing. And if that's our thing, how do we have the best life that we can? We cover loads more in our chat, concentrating on his latest book, Your Anxiety Beast and You, A Compassionate Guide to Living in an Increasingly Anxious World. Find out why he calls it Your Anxiety Beast and why it's often glitchy. Eric explains how we can notice what our beast is up to, how we can teach it new things, and how we can effectively respond to it in a brilliant takeaway. Let's go over to the news desk, P-Supers. Have you heard the latest from our friends at the Psychologists of the Clock podcast? They are hosting an online virtual summit on January the 29th and 30th, this year, 2021. The summit will offer wisdom from world-renowned experts in how to adapt and survive in our challenging times. And the link to register is in the show notes for this episode at rossmackintosh.co.uk. Also, a drumroll please. For the second year running, we are the recipient of the Chizzy Podcast Award, which means the absolute world to me. Thank you so much and enormous respect and admiration to all those who are mentioned in all the categories. Chris Winson, the curator of the brilliant 365 Days of Compassion, wrote, And so on to the winner, with its gentle wit, openness and honesty, the authentic personal sharing that its host provides, alongside some super guests, it's a repeat win for the brilliant People Soup and Ross McIntosh. Have followed People Soup from episode one and know how much it means to Ross. It really is an excellent series, with lovely free bookmarks too. And not forgetting the amazing Big G, the powerhouse behind the screens. Thank you so much for those kind words, Chris. For those of you not familiar, Big G is my dad. And if you'd like some free bookmarks, just DM me your postal address and he'll get some sent off to you. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review it, whatever platform you're on. It helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. If there's an episode you particularly like, you can also drop some change into my virtual tip jar over at ko-fi.com slash peoplesoup. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part two of my conversation with Dr. Eric Goodman. 
I can't hold back any longer, Eric. Let's dive in. So I've got a little introduction. So okay. I've had a look on Amazon and some reviews. Let's just give you some headline reviews and I'll give you my review. So one of the best books on anxiety in existence. And then someone else wrote, anxiety is part of life and this book is a big help in dealing with it. My review says, brilliant, hats off, Eric. I got so much out of this reading it as an adult. I also wish I'd had it as a teenager. Me me too. I love the way it took me (laughs) on a journey through that normalizing and understanding my beast and why it howls. And then the way you took me through exercises and insights, blending theory and different approaches. It's really practical useful, relatable, and fun. And it really guided me through things that can really make a difference in my life. And I, as I've intimated and my listeners will know, I'm quite an anxious chap and I was quite an anxious child. And if the book's not enough, and it is, but the illustrations by Louise are superb and really bring some of the key concepts to life. And before I shut up and let you speak, I'd just like to share one quote from the book with our listeners, just to really set the scene, if I may. If you use your anxiety's howling as a cue to boldly take an anxious journey into the unknown, then you can venture forth towards a more meaningful life. If you choose to avoid those uncertain opportunities that your beast misperceives as threats, then it can leave you, as the band Pink Floyd says, comfortably numb. I love getting musical references in, so kudos for that too. So, Eric, how would you introduce this book to someone? So I can tell you how I tend to do that with my clients at workshops and things like that. I I start with a question. Who's the toughest animal on the planet? And, you know, people will say a lion. A lot of people who say a rhinoceros. I guess those must be pretty, pretty tough creatures. Some people say gorillas. And, you know, ultimately, those are all far off the mark, right? There is one animal on this planet that is by far the toughest animal, and that is us. We humans are, are by far the toughest animal. Now, if we kind of take a step back and we ask ourselves, you know, what is it about us, right? So all animals, they've developed some way to give them an advantage in order to survive. So gorillas are strong, cheetahs are fast, porcupines got the spikes, eels can shoot out that electricity, right? All all animals have come up with something to give them an advantage. Well, look at us. We're not strong. We're not fast. We're a pretty awkward species, right? We don't have thick fur, right? We don't have a hard shell. We we're a pretty unlikely species. And so you say, all right, well, well, it's the brain, right? It's our brain. That's our thing. We developed our brain as our survival thing. And that's true. But there's something about the brain. And that's, we developed this ability to mentally time travel, right? Dr. Paul Gilbert talks about the, the gazelle and the Serengeti that gets uh, attacked by the lion and barely escapes. Well, gets back to its own herd and it's lapping up the water, eating the grass. You know, it's for, all is forgiven, all is forgotten. And it lives to, to eat, you know, grass, lap up water another day. But the human that gets attacked by the lion barely escapes. 
they're going to be in the past. Oh my God, I almost got attacked by a lion. Can you imagine how awful that would have been if it would have, you know, got me? What, what would those teeth, what would that have felt like? And then they time travel to the future, more importantly. What do I do tomorrow if there's two lions? Do I bring a rock? Do I bring a stick? Do I bring other people? Maybe I should stay away from places that are infested with lions to begin with, right? And that's it. That's our superpower. That's our advantage that we mentally time travel. But another way of looking at that is we worry. Worry is our thing. Having this, this brain that worries in this super complex sort of way, that's our thing. And so all of this nonsense out there about being anxiety-free, right? All the books that promise you anxiety-free in six easy steps, you know, it's all marketing gimmicks. It's not real. We are anxious, we humans. And so I think it's important to accept that that's kind of our thing. And if that's our thing, how do we have the best life that we can? If we treat our anxiety like it's our enemy, like it's a demon, a tormentor, well, then we're going to be living our lives with a demon and a tormentor in our head. But if we understand that our anxiety is neither demon nor tormentor, but it's a bodyguard, our anxiety is something that's always working to try to help us, but it just is not designed for the world that it suddenly finds us in. And so it's misperceiving threats all the time. So we want to be able to have as good a relationship with our inner companion as we can because it's going to be with us for life, right? There is no becoming anxiety-free. And, and, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not the first one to tell that to the P-supers out there, but anxiety-free is not real. We certainly can have ang low anxiety moments, but anxiety is going to be part of our lives. And so if we can think about it as our glitchy inner bodyguard, then we can focus on giving it the best home in our nervous system that we can. So if we're drinking five energy drinks a day, our anxiety is going to be living in a far more hair-trigger environment. If we're not sleeping, if we're not exercising, if we're not taking care of ourselves, so we want to take care of ourselves where we can. We want to make space for anxiety when it shows up so that we hold it compassionately. And it, you know, sometimes I, I, I talk about hold your anxiety like you would hold a crying newborn baby. So hold it gently. Don't squeeze it. Don't try to get rid of it. Just hold it gently. Just soften your muscles and allow it to cry. It'll stop at some point. Just allow it to, to, to cry. Hold it gently. And so I think when we're able to do that, have the best relationship with it we can, then we can focus on teaching it where we can. So that's the one thing I think that might be missing from some of the act stuff that I think is important is that our anxiety can learn things. It learns things all the time. So if you're nervous about giving a talk at a party or giving a talk at a, at a meeting, 
and you avoid it, well, you've just taught your anxiety that it's dangerous. You've reinforced that. And the next time around, it's going to remember that. But if you go and you do it, and you do it again, you do it again, you do it again, you're going to teach it. And anxiety can learn so many things. I, I kind of look at it like if you, another metaphor that I use is it's like if you adopt a shelter dog that, you know, has learned all kinds of bad habits. Well, you can teach it all kinds of things. You can teach it to bark less. You can teach it to use the bathroom outside, not inside. You can teach it not to bite people. You can teach all these things, but you're never going to teach it to sit at the table, dining room table, and eat with a fork and a knife. And anxiety, you can teach it a lot. It's never going to learn it perfectly. So that's where you need things like ACT and compassion focused therapy because anxiety is never going away and it's never going to stop misperceiving things as dangerous because it works on a better safe than sorry mentality. So we want to just have the best relationship we can. And then when we're feeling anxious, we want to bring soothing to ourselves. We want to hold it gently and not fall into this, oh, you know, there I go again. You know, what a defective loser I am for feeling anxious, right? Where all we're doing is mm. ratcheting suffering on top of the anxiety. I got so much out of the book. And one of the things was this, that you can teach your anxiety beast. And I, and I agree that that was, that moment in the book was quite, oh yeah, me. And it's the examples you give, you're right, that, that really bring it to life. And the word that has been in my head that you call the anxiety beast is glitchy. For me, that just, it's such a great word. And it's, it's kind of quite a humorous word for me. And it really helps me relate to my anxiety beast as a, as a, as a glitchy, a glitchy pal. Yeah. And, and I, I truly believe that's what it is. It means well. But, you know, sometimes I'll talk to uh, my clients about just how ridiculous it is that we have a horror genre, right? In the sense that it's utterly ridiculous that we've, we, so much of our entertainment is built up around things that are safe, that our brain misperceives as dangerous. And so if you think about what happens when you're watching a horror movie, and your adrenaline starts flowing, because if it didn't, it wouldn't be a very good horror movie. But that is your brain is saying, there is a threat in the room with you right here, right now. Let me give you the energy you need to fight it or to run and hide. And same thing with roller coasters. It's ridiculous that there is a thing called roller coasters out there. Just from a logical standpoint, because we're doing some, something that is incredibly safe, but our nervous system is misinterpreting it as we are careening to our death. And so it's flooding us with adrenaline to, to get us to do something, right? That's, that's what's happening when we're riding a roller coaster. But that just shows you how glitchy it is. So a lot of our entertainment is based around kind of playing around with this glitch within our nervous system. Hmm. Now tell us why you called it the anxiety beast, if you will. Well, so the, the reason why I call it the anxiety beast, I already talked about kind of 
how I wrote it because I, I didn't like a lot of these uh, metaphors that, that demonize anxiety. It's a white beast. Well, I, I think that anxiety is a lot like the beast in Beauty and the Beast, that it's loud, it's powerful, it smells bad, right? It, it can be very offensive, you know, superficially, but it's got a heart of gold down deep. And, and, you know, we learn halfway through the movie that the beast is actually the misguided hero. And I think our anxiety is like that. I don't want to, to underestimate how painful anxiety can be at times and how, how unpleasant it can be to, to be around anxiety. I'm very well aware of that. And so, I, you know, I, I don't want people to think that I'm making light of their suffering because anxiety can really feel uncomfortable. But beneath that, there is this mentality of protection, of, of caring, of wanting nothing more than to protect you from threats, but being completely misguided a lot of the time. Not all the time, because you know, if you're going around town wearing a mask right now, your anxiety is doing the right thing at the right time. Most of the time in life, however, anxiety is doing the right thing, trying to protect us at the wrong time in situations that are actually very safe. So we teach it where we can. We befriend it so that we don't suffer every time it wakes up. And we, we try to have an adaptive rather than a maladaptive relationship with it. Thanks, Eric. And it's, it's so great to hear you talk about this. I've actually been talking about this interview and your book with my dad, who's 85. Mm. My mum died last year, and he, so he's living on his own. He's in a pandemic. He's isolating. And we quite often talk about anxiety. And he, I've started to share a little bit of just the beginning bits of the book with him. And he's like, oh... I'm going to read this. So, so I think there's never a, a time in life where you can say it's too late not to take a different stance to your anxiety beast and learn more about it, because my dad's certainly willing. Well, I, I actually think that as we get older, it even it takes on more of an importance, because as we get older, life can get pretty scary. You know, when we're dealing with illnesses, we're dealing with, you know, needing to go in for uh, painful and scary medical procedures. And ultimately, the thing anxiety really wants to protect us from is, is our, our own demise. Again, we're, we're the only animal with, with an anxiety system that anticipates that the way we do. And we can really suffer far more than any other species on the planet because we're aware of suffering. We're aware of, of, of pain that could happen and, and we're certainly aware of our mm. inevitable death. Yeah. And I've mentioned Louise a couple of times. I just want to delve into what was it like working with Louise because the way she's represented the beast is, is phenomenal. She's, I think she's really captured the the stance or the, the spirit of, of what you were writing in your words. Well, so my, my whole idea with the illustrations was if you're familiar with, with the act concept of diffusion, and that's where we kind of 
we kind of notice our experience. So, oh, I'm aware of feeling anxious rather than, oh my God, I'm anxious, this is bad, right? So I'm aware I'm feeling anxious today, right? It's so so I imagine the, the P-supers have, have learned all, all about that. And what I wanted was a visual diffusion strategy. So what I ideally want for, for, for my own clients is that when they're feeling anxious and they start to think that they're going to want to struggle with their anxiety, I want them to have the image in their mind of anxiety as being this well-meaning, you know, cute little prehistoric bodyguard and to be able to kind of bring that image up so that it can help them to let go of that fight to eradicate their anxiety, which typically serves to throw gasoline on the fire. And so when Luis was recommended by a colleague and, you know, I didn't realize before I met her that she's an expert in all these concepts. She's been studying these for, for, for years and she knows this stuff really well. And so she and I, I, I've said this a number of times, the absolute, my favorite part of writing this book was working with Louise and just kind of bouncing ideas back and forth. And I, I just thought that was so much fun, really, to see her take what was in my head and, and, and put it down on paper and, and come up with ways to better represent the concept that I wanted to show graphically. And she would say, well, how about we try it like this? And since she understood the concepts, there was times where she was able to come up with, you know, just far better stuff. So yeah, Louise was just a joy to work with. It's a beautiful partnership and the product is, is beautiful too. So thanks to you both. It was a lot of fun to, to make. And again, my hope is that it can help people to have a more adaptive relationship with their anxiety and to, I, I, I suppose, really the, the kind of goes back to this notion that anxiety is pathological and that there is some secret way to become anxiety-free in life. Ultimately, if that can help people to understand that when you're feeling anxious, you're not failing at something, that your body is doing a natural thing that it's meant to do, and understanding that our anxiety is not designed for now. It's designed for back then. And so if, if people can let go of this notion that they need to keep trying these different tricks to become anxiety-free, you know, as this permanent thing, and instead just focus on developing a much better relationship with their anxiety, teach it where you can, soothe it adaptively where you can, and bring it with you rather than say, well, one of the things I hear so often is I'll start dating when it feels comfortable or I'll go for a career advancement when it feels comfortable. I'll go back to school when I feel ready. That's not how it works. You'll never feel those things. When you go back to school, 
and you've done it for a while, then you'll feel ready. When you've dated somebody half a dozen times or more, then you'll feel comfortable dating that person, right? When you've public spoken over and over and over, then you will be ready to do it. And so if you're waiting until you're ready, you're waiting your entire life. I couldn't agree more. It's so, it's so wonderful the way you describe it. Thank you. Now, Eric, I like to ask my guests a rather odd question. And that is, if you had a song that could announce your arrival into a room, whether it's a virtual room or a real room for the next few weeks, not forever, for the next few weeks, what might that song be for you? Well, that's a, that's a, it's a great question. I would probably say Time by Pink Floyd. Mm. Are you familiar with that one? I think so, yes. I can't hum it, but I think I do know it. Ticking away the moments that bring on the dull day, you fritter and waste your hours in an offhand way. Yeah. It kind of represents, I, I think, uh, what we were just talking about, and that is kind of not waiting to move on with what's important to you in life. And song is about how quickly time goes. And if you, uh, you know, there's lyrics, and then one day you find 10 years have got behind you, no one told you when to run, you missed the starting gun. Life goes very quickly. Um, and as you get older, you really realize how quickly, uh, how quickly it goes. And so if anxiety, if it feels like anxiety has been holding you back, now's the time to begin to move forward with living the kind of life that, that you want to live, you know, with the pandemic limitations, of course, but not to wait for some magical time when everything feels safe and, and all right in order to you know, whether it's dating or, or friendships or reaching out to people you haven't spoken with in a long time, now's the time to do that. And that's what that song, in my mind, represents. Now, I, I'm assuming that's what it represents. Maybe someone somewhere who's, you know, more of a Pink Floyd aficionado will say, no, it actually represents something <laughs> dark and sinister, uh, but represents to me. Thank you. And Eric, might you have a takeaway for the peacekeepers just to encapsulate some of what you've shared with us so generously today? Well, I would say just say something you could try today, right? For for all the all the peacekeepers out there. Just when you're noticing that you're feeling anxious, next time you notice it, Rather than seeing that as your enemy and tightening up and bracing against it, hold it gently. Just don't try to relax. Don't try to make anything go away. But hold it the way you would hold a newborn baby. And again, when a newborn baby is crying, that can be pretty aversive. It can be pretty unpleasant. But you still hold it softly. You still hold it with kindness. You're not shaking it. You're not, you're not throwing it out the window or anything like that. You're holding it gently. Try that with your experience. Just when you're feeling like you're suffering, just stop, let go, 
and soften. That's not the same thing as saying you have to relax. But, but hold to your experience, whatever that experience is, softly, gently, and with kindness. And just see what happens. Don't take my word for it. Don't, don't take the, the words of the books for it. Try it. And just notice the difference when you activate that soothing part of the brain versus the threat drive. Oh my God, I'm feeling anxious. I got to get rid of it. Or the drive part. You know, I'm going to do something to make myself anxiety free right now. Right. But hold it with soothing. Hold it with kindness, gentleness, softness. Just see what happens. Quite an invitation there for the P-Supers. Thank you so much, Eric. Eric, I'm enormously grateful that you've joined me here on Thanksgiving weekend and given your time and your wisdom so generously. I found it absolutely inspiring to, to hear you speak and to talk with you. And it's a genuine privilege. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Ross. This has been a lot of fun. Hey, supers, that's it in the bag. I'd like to thank Eric for being so generous with his insights, for writing the brilliant book, Your Anxiety Beast and You, and for the clarity of his message. If you like this episode of the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioral science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, rating, or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes for this episode are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms as well. I love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, you can follow us at people.soup and on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic, Alex Engelberg for his amazing vocals and to you for listening. Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. You know, I never know if I'm talking too much or too little. Um, I know the first one of these that I did uh, with the first book, I just kind of answered very short. This was very new to me, and now I just kind of talk. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away. You're giving me, giving me goosebumps. So um, that's a good sign, I think.